Welcome to Northern Nevada Green Living Podcast, where we support your quest for a happier, healthier, planet-friendly life that supports you, your family, and community. We share local information, resources, and support, and opportunities to volunteer for projects that help clean, protect, and repair the environment. This episode is a bonus episode from another show. It includes an interview of a Northern Nevada local who is taking green action through their vocation, volunteer work, or hobby. These stories are interesting and informational and are a great way to get to know our local community better. Today on our podcast, I'm speaking with someone who's using his academic knowledge and farming experience while managing a state university nonprofit to support local food systems by educating area farmers, guiding farming interns, managing and testing new organic crops, and providing greenhouse services. I'm speaking with Charles Shembri. Charles is a program director of the University of Nevada, Reno's Desert Farming Initiative, otherwise known as TFI. He is responsible for administrative duties, programs, grants, and coordination of all farming operations. He's also an agricultural specialist for sustainable and organic farming practices. His previous experience includes multiple diversified row crop farms, small-scale orchards, CSAs, farmers, markets, and restaurants. Welcome, Charles. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to speak with you and learn more about your path to promoting sustainable agriculture and teaching organic farming. So what planted the seeds for you to want to take some kind of green action in your life originally? Yeah, wow, that's that's an interesting question. I, you know, I didn't grow up in an agricultural family, but I was, you know, as a boy who... I never grew up in a city and I didn't grow up really rural, but I grew up, you know, sort of in like rural type suburb settings and had lots of natural space to play in, you know, and I think I was just kind of an outdoor boy, whether it was sport, I was very into sports. I loved the outdoor sports and, you know, um, just was always active outside, you know, always grew up in communities where we had a lot of freedom outdoors as kids and being around the and in the forests and whatever you know we just playing outside and as I grew up I never really thought about never would have imagined I'd be doing what I'm doing now you know and it probably starts when I started working in restaurants I was about 15 and I had a job at a pizzeria and I was the dough and sauce boy so I meant I made all the dough from scratch and I made all the sauces from scratch um you know, there was like a, a regular, you know, marinara sauce and Alfredo and a Marsala sauce. And I, I was really into cooking. You know, my mom brought me up in the kitchen and I grew up cooking from scratch. And I had to work through high school, you know, and it, it wasn't obviously full time, but I seem to have worked in a lot of different little types of restaurants. You know, I was in a pizzeria for like two years and then I worked at a Quiznos making sandwiches and you know, you know, and this is kind of funny what I'm saying here. And, you know, and then I go to community college um, right out of high school and was working in restaurants. And I went in, I, I got into school for kinesiology because I was really interested in, I was always into human health. You know, I grew up an athlete and I did a lot of outdoor sports, you know, traditional sports, but I surfed and I mountain biked and I, I just did everything, you know, I was just really into it. And was really into health. And I think that's where it started, right? Working in, I got this job when I was about 20 years old, working in this bistro. And um, around that time, I was really 
into fresh food. And, you know, it was kind of a fad maybe was just starting up about local food was really, you know, this is like 2000, 2001, like 20 years ago. And, and I, I, you know, I would try growing some things here and there, like in my backyard, like in a pot here and there and just totally failed, you know, and didn't really know much about it. And I worked in this bistro and everything was from scratch. This guy who owned the, the bistro is a really high end Italian French bistro and everything was from scratch. And we were getting wild caught salmon and grass fed lamb and beef and things like that. And I, I didn't really think too much of it. I just knew the food was amazing. And then one day they needed a line cook or not, sorry, not a line cook, but a prep cook, like in the early, early mornings, like come in at six, six thirty, and just chop stuff up. And I was serving tables at night and making a really good money. And, you know, I was in school and, and I said, you know, I can come in really early and prep stuff. And, you know, the, the chef's like, well, yeah, whatever. You probably don't know how to use a knife. And I'm thinking, of course I do. I grew up cooking with my mom. Yeah, I go in there. And of course, I don't really know how to use a knife like the way he, I should. And so I'm learning that and I'm realizing like everything's so fresh. And there's these cases of things that are coming from these farms that are, this is in Southern California and, you know, and coming from farms, you know, maybe an hour away or so. And I'm, I'm chopping up tomatoes and things and onions and stuff. That's like, boy, there's something about this product. That's just incredible. And that's why I started realizing like, that's why the food is so good here. The, the, the owner who's from, well, he's, he was, he's American, but his family's like first generation Spanish and French. And he, um, he could speak, you know, like four or five languages. And he was just very like European authentic. And he brought that to the, you know, to the style of the food. So I really, you know, I, so, you know, trying to fast forward a little bit here, I, around that exact time, I had to take this intro level course to, um, what was it? Uh, it was geology. It was an intro community college ge uh, course geology. And I basically aced the class and I knew like everything. It was just weird. You know, people in my class were like, how do you, how do you know this? How do you, I said, you know, I'm not really sure. Well, I grew up reading national, like the kids, you know, junior national geographic or whatever. I was really into, to, I didn't realize how much I was into the natural environment. Like any question that came up about earth processes throughout my time in school, I gravitated to it. And I, I didn't realize this until I was about 20 years old. It just seemed like something like anything else you just do in life. But, you know, I started realizing I like this stuff. And so I started looking around for, I decided, you know, I need to get a degree in like some sort of like environmental science or geology was what I was really looking at because of that, that class. I thought, you know, geology, that's what I got to do. And at the time I was surfing a lot. And so I was like, well, I got to go to a school somewhere on the coast of California so I can just like surf and study and I'll work in a restaurant at night. That was my plan. So I'm looking around and the two schools that were really like the closest and I thought I could get into were Monterey State University. I was looking like their, I ended up looking at their marine biology degree and I think they had an environmental science degree that was kind of weak. Not, I don't know if it was weak, but it wasn't, you know, well known and and then, of course, and then there's Cal Poly San Luis Obispo up in Central Coast. And I'm looking at that school. I'm like, oh, this is a great school. You know, this is hard to get into. And I had good grades. And I'm looking at, they have an earth science degree in the earth and soil science department. And I look into that and there's only like 180 students in the department. And it's like 
prestigious, you know, the professors and the, the history of, of the soil science department. I thought this would be cool, you know, and, and the surf up there is incredible. Morro Bay and Cayucas pro surfers come out of Cayucas and Pismo beach. And I thought, yeah, I got to I, I went up there and I visited, I said, this is it. So I applied, got in, got into the earth and soil science department. And when I was getting in there, I knew that Cal Poly had the Cal Poly organic farm and I was trying to grow my own food, you know, at that time. And looking back, like I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I was just, you know, I'd plant a seed. I didn't even know how, like what it took, you know, to get it to really grow. And so I, I go there and like my first month, I meet this guy in the soils department who works for the Cal Poly organic farm. And he ends up becoming one of my best friends. And it's like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta work. You gotta come out. You would love it. And so I came out and I volunteered and I was like, yeah, I got it. And there was a 300 member CSA, 13, 15 acre diversified farm. It was a full on commercial demonstration at Cal Poly that it doesn't exist now the way it did back when I went there, they've downsized it to something different. And, um, I think it's more focused on like research now, but at the time it was definitely just like this practical farm and, um, an experience of just working on a farm. And there was a little bit of research and some education programs through it. And so, you know, I actually kind of had to beg the director of the farm to hire me. I just kept on him. It was like an old school style where you like walk up with your resume and I'm like, Hey, I really want to work here. I volunteered before. And He's like, oh, we don't really have the budget and oh, okay, shoot. And so I'm working at restaurants and a month goes by and it's like, no, I got to, you know, I got to keep bugging this guy, you know, lack of better words. I, I'm volunteering out there and I'm getting food from the farm and I'm just really, I'm really into the culture. And there was like a drum circle that was happening at once a month and I was meeting more people. And, you know, before, before, you know, I knew it, I was, I got hired on. That's kind of how it took off. I got onto the farm and within like six months, they had promoted me to, um, a crew leader. There was three student crew leaders out of maybe 15, 16 employees. And there was a farm manager. And, you know, I just had a knack. I just was really into it. And um, I was there for three years on that farm. And that's kind of how it took off. You know, it was really just, it was more of like a lifestyle, you know, and I was eating, you know, you're around these people who all are young and have this mindset of, of like something that's more pure than what I had experienced in my life. And, you know, getting involved with people on the farm were just as into health and, and athletics and, and mind body stuff that I was at that point. And, you know, I had done my first fast working on that farm with people and we did it together and we ate we had, we all like two of us had, or it was like four of us to had a commitment to just eating off that farm for a month. And we didn't have any, you know, animals. So it was all purely plant-based and I'm not a vegetarian, but you know, I did this like one month of, we just ate off the farm and I was like lean and felt so amazing mentally. And that was kind of that, you know, that at that point I was like, okay, I am really, really, no matter what I do in my life, I'm going to grow food and I'm going to try to eat like this. I, I definitely is not 
how I totally live now. I think, you know, it's hard, but when I was younger and didn't have kids and didn't have a, a mortgage and a house and all the things you, you have going on in life, I definitely was so focused on this lifestyle. And, um, and, and then the degree I got at Cal Poly was amazing, like the soil science degree. And I got on the soil, uh, soil judging team and was able to travel the United States in these um, really dorky competitions <laughs> that were, you know, just really life-changing as well and understanding earth processes. And so I, I, was, I was able to combine the study of earth and soil science while I was growing food. And that really enabled me to, I think, walk out of that university with, with what I think is almost like a double degree or, or a PhD almost. And to work with growing food every day on a sustainable organic farm and studying earth and soil science, it was, um, it was a good combo, you know? And I just, you know, I feel really fortunate that I had that opportunity because I don't really feel like I had envisioned it or had really strived for it it just was like the opportunities and the pieces were in you know the opportunities were in front of me and they made a lot of sense and they were kind of you know they were really fun to to explore and you know and you, you fast forward and just been doing that kind of stuff now since you know 2004 it's been like 16 years so it's pretty cool so what did you do when you got out of school? You know, Cal Poly is perfect. It's like learn by doing, very hands-on. And when I got out of school, I, I was really committed. I was reading so much. And I said, you know, I just need my own time. I need my own time to learn and read and not be like confined to, you know, the academic studies. I was where I was at. And I was really into the trade of farming or the study of soil, um, you know, I was looking for a job like that, but what I really wanted to do was go into the Peace Corps. Like I was really serious about the Peace Corps. I was, you know, well into the application, working with a recruiter, met my now who is my wife at the time I met her and um, we, you know, I, she knew I was, I, I wanted to go to Panama. I was looking at Panama and this program there. And so I was really wanted to live, you know, in another, I wanted to be in Latin America for sure. I wanted to live pretty primitively and I wanted to be in the Peace Corps. That was for sure in agriculture. And there was some good programs down in Panama and some like in the Yucatan Peninsula, I was talking to the recruiter about. And so, you know, I couldn't go down, I, you know, my wife and I were together for about a year, you know, dating. And at that point, it was like, well, I had to make a decision here. I'm about to graduate. And she had already graduated way before me. And, you know, I didn't feel like it was right to just separate. I knew if I'd gone to the Peace Corps, that's two and a half year commitment, you know. That would be probably the end of that relationship. So, you know, and to go with someone, they have to be, you have to be married to them. So that, you know, that would be silly. We wouldn't force something like that. So we found together, we found this um, nature reserve in Costa Rica called Cloud Bridge Nature Reserve in the high mountains, um, southern Costa Rica, far away from tourism called, uh, in a little town called uh, Santa Rada de, de Rivas. In a little town that was the gateway to the the national the, the major national park uh, Shirapo, uh Park, and this nature reserve was looking for like volunteer researchers, and I was looking through all their research, and they were 
no one had done anything with soil and I was really good at identifying soils and mapping out soils and had spent so much time in soil pits and on in Cal Poly and the soil judging team. And, you know, the team, we had won the national collegiate championship in 2008. And so I was feeling like really confident that I could come on somewhere as a volunteer and create like a research project around mapping and identifying soil types. And they didn't have, they had no one had ever done that. And the owner, a philanthropist, um, Ian Giddy, South African guy, I had two nature reserves, one in South Africa, one in uh, Costa Rica. I contacted him, uh, pitched him this whole proposal, and he uh, he liked it. So he invited us to come and live there and that I would just voluntarily uh, put together this this research project. And I happened to know somebody who was Costa Rican, a professor who worked at Cal Poly, and he had ended up moving back to Costa Rica and worked for a university there called Earth University, which uh, stands for um, Escuela de Agricultura en el Región Tropical Humidad. So, you know, agricultural school in the tropical, humid tropics. And I contacted him and said, hey, you know, I'm going to do this volunteer stuff and I'm going to identify soil pits. Be really cool if I could send soil samples into this university to measure, you know, carbon and organic matter content. And we could look at the successional. So the nature reserve had successional, um, well, they were, they were restoring a, you know, a degraded land from cattle grazing and, and it was way up in the mountains. Um, you know, the little town we were in, most people, no one spoke English. And, and there was people up there who had never really even seen the ocean, which is strange because Costa Rica is such a small country with oceans around. So it was really an interesting experience. And I was able to create this project that, you know, was really fun and was able to collaborate with Earth University and you know, it's just stars aligned with knowing someone who's Costa Rican. I only need one Costa Rican in my, like my entire life. I've still, I mean, I met Costa Ricans there, but I, I never knew someone personally ever since then. Same, same person. And we, um, while we were there in Costa Rica, you know, we knew we were going to come back to the U S and my wife actually had quit her job, her career to come to Costa Rica because she wanted something different out of her life. She was working for Target and she had a small business, she has a small business management degree. And, you know, was she had she had a good time there and she made good money, but she knew that wasn't what she wanted to be doing in her life. And so she came with me to Costa Rica and that was a good, you know, like middle ground or compromise than, you know, going off in the Peace Corps. And, you know, I was still looking for something that I didn't want to like just jump into some hardcore career or, you know, I wasn't really sure, you know, it was agriculture or do I want to be involved in more of like an environmental environmental science type degree? I mean, sorry, um, profession. And, you know, while we were in Costa Rica, we, we went around, we looked at so many farms, you know, coffee farms and hung out with farmers who were growing coffee, you know, under in the forests and growing mangoes and pineapples. And I was really, I just, you know, I knew when I was in Costa Rica, I was like, yeah, I'm so into growing food. I just, this is incredible. Maybe I should go and farm avocados. I had this idea, like, let's go back and farm avocados on the coast of California and surf, (laughs) you know, and, you know, you can only do in life what is presented in front of you often. And there was an AmeriCorps program called the Watershed Stewardship Program that's in California. It's an incredible program through the AmeriCorps where you get to work in watershed science careers and you're placed, you know, with a, with a host site. And I ended up getting into the AmeriCorps uh, Watershed Stewardship 
program, which was, you know, really good because I wanted to go in the Peace Corps and I was looking into the AmeriCorps, got into the AmeriCorps, ended up working for the Six Rivers National Forest in um, Northern California in the Watershed Science Department. And I served as like a soil hydrology technician doing, you know, I was out in the field all the time doing things, erosion surveys, uh, habitat assessments. And part of the requirement was teaching in um, like elementary schools, teaching kids watershed science. And I did that for two years. And, you know, and then I ended up, you know, my, my wife got, uh, we, she, we got pregnant and, you know, we were planning on having a child, not, not as soon as it happened. And had to, you know, I was looking for a job and I ended up, well, at the time up in Humboldt County, that's where we were living in, in California when I was with the AmeriCorps. I worked, I was um, right across the street practically from our house was a Indian reserve, a little Indian reserve called um, uh, Potawat, the Potawat uh, Reserve. And they had a, like a two acre garden or two acre farm there. That was all the food went to the, uh, you know, to the members of the tribe and I started, you know, I walked over there one day, you could just, you could walk through, they had like nature paths and stuff, but the farm was there, you know, and I saw it and I was like, oh, this is pretty neat, you know, and stopped in one day and started chatting with them. And I said, hey, do you guys just need like someone to help out? And yeah, that'd be cool. So I started, they were always looking for people to do work trade, you know, work for veggies. And, and um, so while I was in the AmeriCorps, they, the AmeriCorps actually, they would encourage you to find other volunteer opportunities. So I was able to actually use four hours of my, my week out at the farm at this Potawatomi garden so I was able to keep growing food and then we lived on like a half acre property in a mother-in-law unit and they let me grow the food food there and they had like a small orchard that wasn't being taken care of so I started managing like their apples and they had kiwis on the property we lived on and then across the street at Potawatomi gardens so you know I'm saying all this is because you know is like my passion for growing food I mean no matter what I ever do in my life you know growing food is just part of what what I love to do and my family you know we love eating you know fresh food and so I'm looking for jobs and I had you know applied for quite a few jobs actually I had interviews for jobs with the cooperative extension and water quality I was really focused on water quality and I really wanted to be involved in soil erosion and the impact of agriculture on our stream systems and things I had learned in school and then with the watershed stewards project. And I just couldn't nail that kind of job. You know, it was so, so competitive and found this little farm family um, in Healdsburg called the Bernier farm, Bernier organic farm. And they had just um, leased a new property and wanted to expand their vegetable production from a half acre. They, they farmed um, like 60 acres or so of dry farm Zinfandel, Petite Syrah, and, and they had founded um, like dry Creek peach, um, and so they they had a huge agricultural history, and they were trying to expand the vegetables. They did market gardens and stuff, and so um, they were looking for someone to be a like a farm manager who lived on site on this new property. And I got that job, and so then I just became you know a farm manager, and we lived on the property. Nice. So in all of these places that you've been, did you get an opportunity to um, start mentoring other farmers or people that you were working with, kind of sharing your knowledge? How did that work? Yeah, well, you know, not at first. I mean, I was just someone who was trying to learn from farmers in the community still. And, you know, I was at the Bernier farm. I knew I had a knack for farm management and, and just growing food. And I didn't really have an opportunity to grow there at the Bernier farm. 
And I had a job offered to me just being in, surrounded by vineyards. And I said, you know, I'm never, ever going to work in vineyards. Like they just seemed like this plague of the landscape. That's sort of how I looked at it. Just I, I knew all the pesticides that were being sprayed and, you know, just the impact to the watershed from vineyards. And But I got this position to be a, a vineyard manager. And I had never been a vineyard manager, but I'd worked in the vineyards for the Bernier Farm. You know, they had 60 acres or so, but I was focused on the vegetables and orchards and I helped in the vineyard, you know, quite a bit. And anyways, I got hired on to be this vineyard manager, just got thrown in and was all of a sudden managing seven ranches for Ludson Wine Vineyards and running crews and really, you know, it was pretty cutthroat, but I learned a tremendous amount. The amount of things I had to do on that job was just incredible. You know, the skill that I had to develop and becoming essentially like an irrigation engineer and a pump technician and running the fertilizer and pesticide program. You know, it wasn't organic, but we didn't really, you know, we sprayed pretty, pretty soft products. It wasn't, you know, the, the owner was very into stewardship. Grapes are very hard to farm organically. Bigger land management farming I had been involved in, you know, managing all the tractor equipment, the precision of agriculture and there for three years. And then um, this position popped up for the Napa County Resource Conservation District. So to your question, like starting to work with other growers when, you know, the, the, an RCD, a resource conservation district had been something I'd always looked at as like, wow, that would be incredible, you know, because I had been exposed to conservation districts working with the Watershed Stewards Project and you know, just like workshops. And I was always going to like little workshops and seminars and trying to learn as much as I could throughout this whole time. And um, especially the vineyard world in North Coast, California, there's so many workshops, there's so many organizations that are doing things. And I was going to those in conservation district uh, staff were there presenting on stewardship and you know, managing for erosion control and things like that. And with Ledson Line Vineyards, I had to do a lot of erosion control management on these hillside vineyards. And so that's why I was going to them as well. And um, with my soils background, um, you know, the owner really like trusted in my my knowledge of managing for erosion and, um, you know, working with cover crops. And so I was being like, you know, sort of mentored or inspired by other professionals who are outside, who are like in the natural resources professions. And this, so this position popped up specific for vineyard conservation work with the RCD, like a very specific job. And someone had sent it my way and said, Hey, you know, I think you would be like kind of a perfect person. They have a demonstration vineyard it's 21 acres you still get to run a vineyard and you're going to work with growers on water use efficiency and erosion control and soil health and cover crops. And I'm, I'm looking at it going, there is no way I'm going to get this job because, you know, we're in the world of vineyards. There's got to be so many people out there who have tremendous experience. And it was like April or May, I remember when that job got flown. And I felt like I can't, I can't walk away mid season. I've always been very true to like, in the farming world that like, especially as a farm manager, you know, you're, I was the vineyard operations coordinator. I mean, if I walked away in the middle of the season, I just felt like that would be really bad for the company. And, and I, you know, and again, I didn't have the confidence maybe either. I was like thinking, eh, I don't know. There's gotta be too many people out there. So the, the season had come to an end and the grape harvest had really pounded me for the third season in a row. And I was just exhausted. And, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to look around. I'm just going to see what's out there, you know? And, I was, you know, my wife, I wasn't, I was working weekends all the time and 
you know, my wife wasn't working and she was just having a good old time and I was never around for things. And I said, I can't, I don't think I could keep doing this. You know, I don't think this is a good idea. I started looking and like the first day I'm looking, I see that job for the RCD is, is posted. And I'm like, Oh, is that, I'm re- I read it. And I go, well, that's, that's the same job. And so I called the director of the RCD and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I just want to make sure, is this the same job I saw posted like six months ago or so? And she's like, yeah, it is. We didn't, we didn't fill it. We've entered, this is the third time we flown the job. We can't find the right person. I, so I was talking to her and she goes, you know, I, th- I think you would be a good candidate. You should apply. So I applied, got the job with the RCD. And then that's really where I was able to, you know, be in a position to outreach and all the programs we ran that was in agriculture, but involved in conservation work and water quality erosion control. That's what I did. And um, everything had, you know, I'd been out of school for a while at that point and had built up a lot of knowledge, you know, that I was able to do a really good job with the RCD. And um, it was a, it was a fantastic job. And that was the position I had before the desert farming initiative. And you know, I had this great job and, you know, we're living in, it's Napa County and you're really, it's everything's the extension. Of, you know, my wife was from Sonoma County and we had lived up in Mendocino, Sonoma County and Napa now for quite a while. And it was just so populated and the cost of living was just crazy. And we wanted like property. We wanted more access to you know lakes and rivers and just traffic you want to go somewhere and go for a hike on the weekend it was just ridiculous the traffic you always dealt with and you know in the cost of living we bought this home in a town called american canyon it's all we could afford and you know it was totally not our style but it was like a stepping stone that we were willing to sacrifice I mean, we moved from a 35 acre ranch in rural mendocino to this american canyon that's kind of basically in the urban environment in a way like you know suburban urban interface and we really like had a you know a nice time there for four years we met a lot of nice people and our kids went to school and got involved in the community and napa county's fantastic the people i worked with but i didn't feel right and my wife's parents had um retired and moved to minden and you know when we came out here for the first time it was like wow you know and and they had been here there for a while at the time you know okay lake tahoe's right there and we love lake tahoe my wife and i both just adore the sierra mountains like that's what we did especially before kids we'd always go and backpack and hike and hit up alpine lakes and she grew up doing endurance riding through the you know the, the tahoe rim trail and you know we just had this connection to the whole region and i snowboard and wanted like always had thought like well that'd be really cool you know i never had much time doing that stuff farming and i just thought you know i surfed and oh yeah wow it'd be really cool to live near the mountains you know we were looking for something we knew we wanted something else we were looking for something that would get us out of we knew California wasn't going to work like what we wanted and how much things cost. We just felt like for our family, we, why, why commit to California when there's this whole world out there that we've seen and, but we didn't want to move really far away. You know, we got family everywhere and we didn't want to just abandon. I, I always talked about like British Columbia and Canada would be pretty neat. And um, we, you know, we're coming out here all the time. And one day we just were like driving home and we were talking on the way home. And the kids are sleeping in the back of the car and we're like this, we, we should try to move here. Like this would be a really good step for us. And it could be a place that we 
just live for the rest of our life for all we know there's so much to do here and so I started looking for a job and I knew at the time like what I'm doing is going to be impossible to find over here I was even willing to like completely change my career you know I was willing to just for the lifestyle to come out and live near the mountains and you know, the position was opened up for DFI and I looked at it and, and it worked, you know, so we, that was it. We ended up here and able to, you know, still, still be like in the same type of field of work and coming from the RCD, I wasn't focused on vegetable production, but I was focused on sustainable, you know, agricultural land management with water use efficiency and soil health. And I had had the background of writing grants. I, I established um, a really large grant right before I left for soil health um, for the RCD and other resource conservation districts. So I had the experience of program management and, you know, managing at a higher level budgets and all, everything that's required to run something like DFI. You know, I had, I had background in that now. So yeah, I think it's just kind of lined up to be able to you know make make that happen that's awesome so doing the type of work that you do what might be some of the challenges because obviously you have quite an extensive background that really prepared you for this kind of position but as an educator and helping other organic farmers what, what might be some of those those challenges well, I think, you know, the, the biggest challenge is, you know, these farmers and gr- there's so much that entails running a business and operation and producing food. And, you know, there's all these concepts that aren't, they're not just concepts, but, you know, strategies to improve your sustainability for crop production, land management, getting farmers to be able to implement those is just really, really challenging, you know, and as an educator and these types of positions we do, we we're constantly trying to build out the education component and the outreach and the technical resources. And how do we, how do we build something that's legitimate, that's tangible, that we can work with a grower to implement. And it's just, it is, it's very difficult. You know, it's not like people think like, well, why aren't, why aren't everyone just, you know, growing food sustainably and organically? And it's very complicated, you know, I don't know how to describe it much different than that, but there's so many things just producing food. It, it, it's making a living off growing food is so, so difficult. And, and people who are able to have a sustainable income, from it they often there's a lot of interesting stars that align for them or it was as simple as they were born and raised and their fam on property their family farmed or you know there's they, they can go and have this passion and they can grow food on a land that the house is paid off and there's a barn already in place and there's irrigation infrastructure that's already been established and they have equipment and kind of have this startup you know we're talking you know for small scale say diversified farming because obviously large-scale farming industrialized large-scale a lot of it's you know funded through corporate you know industrialized um, companies that's, that's quite different how that works out but um you know even the large growers that we want to work with because that's where really the impact is you know where we can make a really big difference on sustainability is to be able to work with the big big growers who are growing thousands of acres of something and how do we implement one little tiny piece of soil health with them and anything that you want to implement with them is going to come with a cost of money up front you know say it's just a cover crop and the seed and it's $50 an acre for seed or $20 an acre for seed we'll multiply that by 2,000 3,000 acres 
you know, that's a big expense. And most of these growers aren't really interested It's in just jumping into that expense. They don't know how is this soil health management, pro- I'm using soil health as, a, as an example, but how does that How's that going to equate into, it always comes down to money, you know, and the, and the pioneers of organic agriculture and not even organic agriculture. I mean, some of the best farmers in the world could even be in the Midwest where they've gone with the no-till farming practices. And, you know, they're, they're following up their summer crop with a no-till seed drilling of a, a winter, you know, wheat or something for as a cover crop. And, you know, they're not organic, but they, they have this soil health management system in place. That's really beneficial. And, um, you know, you can't just convince someone to jump and leap into into something like that without really building a relationship with them and finding a way to create a program with them. That's it's 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 practical and it's small, you know, start off on a really small scale. Um, but, you know, we do even with the RCD and here at, the, at DFI, I mean, we spend a lot of time outreaching, um, looking to collaborate with farmers, trying to um, gain their support and their trust to collaborate on a project. And it is it is very diff- it is very challenging. And that is a whole skill in itself. I mean, just just to have a knowledge of. You know, if you think like you're a great agriculturalist and you have all your, you know how to implement something that brings sustainability to the to agriculture, you might be a genius and have you could talk about it all day. But how do you create a relationship with a farmer who has this business and a family that counts on the business? How do you how do you infiltrate their not infiltrate, but how, yeah, how do you how do you get involved in basically their life and and work with them? to help them improve something. Um, that is, that is the biggest challenge I would say. Yeah. Are you getting also into the aspects of, um, like researching soil biology and, and that as well as the cover crops kind of like Dr. Um, Elaine Ingham's methods of using the microscope to analyze our are you also using those aspects? Yeah, I mean, at DFI, we try to implement those practices that we already know are beneficial. I mean, we don't need to try, we're not really trying to recreate the wheel or research things into that depth because that's not really like for DFI, that's not necessarily our bread and butter is to do that level of research, but we try to, we can, you know, we can collaborate with professors. You know, we don't have a lot of professors at UNR who are doing that kind of work, but our focus would be more to, I mean, there's so much information out there, you know, like we really don't need to be researching how to improve soil health, but we, we do really need to understand how, like, in our climate, how does specific practice, what are the best practices for soil health? You know, every climate and soil type is going to be unique and the farming system is going to be unique. So we are trying to find those opportunities and we've been collaborating with um, uh, Maninder Walia, who's a new extension uh, educator and researcher and other extension folks and, and trying to, you know, we have to write grants and we have to get the funding to make those things work. But without funding, what we do at DFI is, like I said, just implement, you know, soil health management practices that will promote bio, like biological habitat, reducing our tillage, looking for alternative ways. Uh, we do have cover crop trials in place, standard cover crop species, and we're playing around with a few other ones and working with Menender on different things. And Gary, Gary McEwen's an extension educator and, and Eureka, who, you know, I talk with and working with the Natural Resource Conservation Service and the Plant Materials Center in Fallon, you know, trying to build this network and, and then we're, you know, finding out like what could work and what has 
maybe worked and then we're kind of doing our own thing implementing it into the farming that we do and you know and students and and interns get to learn about this stuff too like if we can just have like we had an intern just seeding cover crop you know a week or two ago with the cedar and now it's germinated and you know people get to see that happening and that's really like where our bread and butter is is not like i said we're not going to make any groundbreaking research um um we're gonna have any results like that right now, but I think in the future DFI could. We are trajecting, I think, in a direction where you know we could um, be that way. There's a there's a um, program out of UC Davis called Russell Ranch, and um, Kate Scow is sort of like an Elaine Ingram type person. I would say she's really well known, and she's the director there. You know that that Russell Ranch is much larger than ours. It's like a hundred acres or more, and they actually have like researchers on their staff. So I think it would be a big goal for DFI to find funding to have someone on our team, like the DFI team, because right now we just we collaborate and try to pull in the researchers and experts around us to support, you know, what we could create there. And long term, if we can have an in, in, in-house researcher, that would be where we could maybe investigate stuff like Lane Ingram and other folks like that, you know, do. Yeah. So um, what are some of the ways that you and others have been enjoying the rewards of your efforts? You know, maybe some of the farmers that you've seen, you know, improve um, their yields, et cetera, those type of things. I think, I think right now, um, you know, one of our most impactful programs is probably our food safety program, actually, where we do spend more time with growers, helping them with their food safety practices. And there's a regulation behind that. So, you know, that that's going to create a situation where a grower really does have to do something, you know, if there's a regulation on top of them. So that is like a program that is sort of a gateway for us to build a relationship with them through the food safety um, assistance, and then, you know, be able to get involved with other projects with them. We don't have like a soil health program right now where we could go out there and work with growers. But, you know, I think, I think like how we're rewarded as well right now is our, the community and the, the general, you know, professionals in the region are really excited about what we're doing and they support it. And when there's so much interest about DFI and we just have a lot of support. So that's really rewarding. And we have a community on our farm, you know, we produce a tremendous amount of food. We have gotten involved in the food insecurity issues in the region, advocating and working to develop programs where we can move fresh farm food to the pantries and food insecure individuals. And there's a lot of funding and professionals in the region in the food insecurity field, even even more than, you know, crop production field. So right now, you know, with the CARES Act funding, we've we've secured funding with partners like the Fallon Food Hub and Catholic Charities. And we're using some of those funds to actually pay for our product. Our product is being pushed to multiple pantries like Community Health Alliance and um, PAC Provisions is the pantry on campus. And, you know, we, we even... You know, a lot of people right now, too, they they tend to identify us like the public and a lot of people on campus from our food. You know, we have a, a CSA program, a farm share program for the College of Ag and student, you know, we had a farm stand on campus before COVID hit and that just brought a lot of energy and people were able to see, you know, we set up this farm stand with all this product and people would always come and be like, are you? 
you guys are growing this year. You know, they don't even know what we can actually grow. And they would often, we've gotten this a lot. They say like, you guys, so you guys are growing all this in those greenhouses off of the highway there off wells. And you're like, well, we're over there, but we're not in the greenhouses. We, we produce our crop in hoop houses, which are not heated. And then the majority of our crop is grown out in the fields. We have, you know, up to four acres of that, you know, intensified row crop production. So just educating people on what can be grown here and the garden come to us and we launched this plant sale program where we provide this garden you know plant package there's been a lot of demand for that we do grow we have contracts small contracts with a lot of local growers producing um, plant starts and they're certified organic everything's certified organic so those who are really needing like certified organic plant starts otherwise they'd have to purchase from like a big nursery in California and the, the shipping costs and everything's expensive. So we're able to keep the cost down. So with that, you know, um, we take custom orders. And so, um, you know, like Rick Latin and Latin farms and sustainable uh, first fruit, sustainable farms. I mean, farms like them, they come to us and they're purchasing a tremendous amount of plants. And, you know, a lot of the crop that they're growing is coming from the plant starts that we produce in our greenhouse. We have like a 3000 square foot greenhouse on at Valley Road. And that's really rewarding. You know, uh, we do know that we're producing really high quality plants and, and starting off with a good plant is going to produce a good crop. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of variables after it leaves our greenhouse but um, we get feedback that um, you know oh, those tomatoes or those melons we got they did so good in the field and that's really that's really cool and rewarding and that that's a program that was grant funded to launch this called the organic plant propagation program and that grant has expired but now we have that program in place and you know we'll continue producing um, organic plant starts and then if, if other folks begin to start up small farms you know having that infrastructure a greenhouse that's heated you know you got to start your plants in february even late january you know it's it's winter outside so you know we have the facility to produce those plants and they they can trust in us and they can give us custom orders if someone wants to grow an or an heirloom tomato that otherwise like where would you find that tomato um you know maybe you can go to the, a garden like rail city has some pretty interesting um you know, tomatoes, but you, you can't go there and buy 300 tomato plants without breaking the pocketbook, you know, so we're selling wholesale bulk plants to, to our growers in the region. That's excellent. So if your ideas, your experience, and your wisdom were all wrapped up in seeds of potential action for you to give to others, what advice would you give to someone that is considering work like you have done? So maybe it's someone else that is also thinking about integrating some of their organic farming um, experience into education. I think the having practical background is really important and really goes a long way. You know, if you're coming out of college with a degree and you really want to be doing something like I'm doing or you know in a in an organization like DFI um, if you haven't worked on a small farm or any kind of farm doesn't have to be a small farm you know but if you don't have some level of practical experience like you don't have to be a farm manager but it just being exposed and being in the industry is really important you know and I think you have to take opportunities as they come. If you're looking for a career that's going to like pay you really good and you just haven't really been in the industry, it's not going to work. You know, a lot of people put a lot of time in volunteering, 
networking is so important and just, you know, being patient, like things will align. You know, you probably in our region, it's tough. There's really very little opportunity doing the kind of stuff we're doing. So um, we hope to build those opportunities out there. Like Reno food systems has popped up and they've got opportunities for people. Uh, but, you know, you might have to look at going out of state if you're in state here, you know, you might travel around the West and take on something like AmeriCorps like I did, because that was big, you know, I got to do, I didn't get paid much. We have AmeriCorps positions, by the way, at DFI, um, but it gets you really exposed and you get to take on projects and you get to really, to be a part of an organization is is really important. If you just are farming, like you're an organic farmer and you decide, I want to get into education, it could be really difficult not having any background being an organizational structure you know so I guess that would that would have to be you'd have to start with accepting like a a very low level type position and you know things will fall in place and like I said you gotta you gotta put your time in I think that's probably the case for a lot of professions but in this world that we're in I think even more so I really feel like you just gotta really put the time in and okay so um as we wrap up, what uh, resource, maybe a book or a website is film or film has been particularly helpful or informative for you? You know, for me, some of the books that inspired me in particular, and I'm soil, very focused on soil, is called um, The Soil and Health by Sir Albert Howard. It was written in like 1945. I think that's a really interesting book to start with, to see what was being discussed back then and the same issues and challenges that we, you know, have right now. If you're really interested in food production and like how to maximize your food production in the space that you're in, a couple books that I loved when I was younger that inspired me was um, John Jevons' How to Grow More Vegetables, Biointensive. Um, and then the, and the other one would be Elliot Coleman. I mean, he's really the one of the pioneers. So Elliot Coleman's Four Seasons, I think it's called like Four Seasons Farming or something like that. He wrote a book called The Organic Grower, I believe. And so yeah, Elliot Coleman books are great. If you're into um, animal husbandry, you got to read about um, Joe Salatin, what he does on his, Polyface Farms, I believe is his farm. And that's just an incredible book. Uh, and if you're into managing composts and manures and stuff, um, this is what the book is called. It's called Holy, Holy Shit. And it's it's an incredible book. So if you're really into understanding how to manage um, waste, that's, and, and I think that's a really important factor in sustainable farming is, you know, everyone who's growing organically sort of dreams of having their own like compost operation and having that full, that closed circle, that closed loop, you know, on the farm. So do you, um, how can people contact you if they'd like to learn more or... They, they could find, um, I mean, if you, if you just, you know, Google search desert farming initiative and go to, um, about and look up our team, you can find me, you can email me. Um, that would just be the easiest way, you know, email me and, um, you know, you can email our general email account too, which is DFI at unr.edu. And we do offer volunteer opportunities, uh, work trade program where you can come out once a week for four hours on the farm and you get vegetables in exchange. We're not really supporting a lot of that right now with COVID and looks like things are kind of increasing in the Reno region. And we've had people around us who have actually contracted it. So we, we are backing off our volunteer opportunities right now in the season's ending, but definitely going in, you know, contact me, get you on the list and we'll, and then if, if anyone, if people just have questions about 
starting up a farm or how to, you know, gain that experience, you know, we can, I can help them look for opportunities in the region. We also have an AmeriCorps position uh, that's opening up in February where you're, you're working on the farm and you're basically like a farm apprentice in a, in a sense. And you're just totally part of the farm team and growing the food and part of other projects with the, the AmeriCorps members get special opportunities. So that's a, opportunity in February opening up. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and all of your experience. It's been a real honor. Thank you. Thanks for asking all these questions. Thank you for listening to Northern Nevada Green Living Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe to this show so we can send you monthly episodes and keep you up to date on opportunities for eco-friendly living in Northern Nevada. For now, please take good care of you and yours, stay well, and help us all make this a kinder, healthier, and greener community for all.